You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, let's get into this. This is week number six in our series called Be Rich. Turn to somebody and tell them you need to be rich. Okay. Tell us. No, I tell you what, let's change our confession. Say this. Say, I am rich in every area of my life. Amen. Well, let's look at our foundation scripture, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. By the way, you're a farmer, so God provides seed for you and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Everybody say enriched. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Say generous. And when we take your gifts to those in need who need them, they will thank God. The Message Bible of verse 11 says this, so that you will be wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way. So God wants us to be enriched. He wants us to be wealthy, not for our own uh, pride or our own uh, satisfaction, although God doesn't mind you uh, enjoying life. But what, my point is this, he does it for a greater purpose. He blesses us and ministers to us so that we can be a blessing. And as these verses have said, so that we can be generous to other people. Because why? Look at the very last part of that verse. It says that, that when we do that, people will thank God. Did you know that when you are generous and you help and minister to other people, it causes God to get the glory and not us. Amen. So we're going to just take a couple of moments. Let's review what we talked about last week. There's three main points from last week that I want you to get. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first thing I want you to get. We're talking about the part of our uh, becoming wealthy that has to do with tithing. Now, uh, I will say this, you know, the folks that get upset when you teach on tithing, I, my experience over uh, many years of being a senior pastor and then being in ministry for a long time, uh, people that get upset when you teach on tithing usually aren't tithers. You know, people that are tithers don't get upset about this because they know the blessing of it. But here's the first thing, write this down, the tithe belongs to God. So what is the tithe? The tithe is the first tenth part of any increase that God brings into your life. So when God, uh, you know, blesses you and brings income into your life through, say, your job, through your paycheck, or, or maybe a gift or something like that, the first part of that, the first tenth of that belongs to God. And so we have to have that mindset that, that listen, the 100% actually belongs to God, but he lets us uh, do what we want to do with the 90%. All he asks us is to return to him the, the first tenth part. By the way, I'll say this, and we'll get into this more later on. Tithing is not sowing. Okay? Tithing is not the same as sowing. When you tithe, you're returning to God what already belongs to him. 
So that would be equivalent to, let's say, uh, Kathy came and she said she needed to borrow my car, and I said, sure. And so I give her the keys. She takes and uses my car and does what she needs to do. And then she comes and brings my car back to me and expects, stands there and expects me to bless her for returning to me what already belonged to me. That doesn't make much sense, does it? So, so, so in that sense, when we return the tithe, when we pay our tithes, we're just simply giving God back 10% of what already belongs to him. So 100% belongs to God, but he just gives us the privilege of being a steward over all of it. Amen? So here's the second thing I want you to get, and this is most, most important. All right? The tithe is about your heart and not your money. Tithing is about your heart. Again, because God is after your heart and not to... You know, we won't turn, take the time to turn there, but you remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is telling us that our heart follows what we value the most. And so what God is after is your heart and not your money. But you are able to show him where your heart is by what you do with your money. All right? Here's the third thing, <clears throat> excuse me, that I want you to get. And that is this, the tithe is about honoring God first. I want to ask you a question this morning, and you don't have to answer this, but who is first in your life? Okay, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God is first. He should be first, all right? So in that case, if God is first, then whatever he asks us to do ought to take precedence over everything else. So God needs to be first and foremost in our lives. And so I believe with you all that he is. You know, um, just because you, you, you got up and you came to church speaks volumes, not just to me, but it speaks volumes in saying, hey, I honor God enough that I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church even when I lost an hour of sleep last night because, you know, of the, the time change, all right? But see, you choose to honor God. And I double dog dare you at some point, get your Bible out and maybe do a study online and find out, do a study on the word honor, especially in the Old Testament. Find out how many times God made this statement. If you will honor me, I will honor you. So when you put God first in every area of your life, including your finances, what God has said is, I will honor you in every area. All right? So those are three main points from our, our message last week. Now here's, uh, let's get into what we're going to talk about this week. Let's, let me make a little bit more, state, a couple more statements about tithing, and then we're going to get into the benefits of tithing. But if you're, again, taking notes, write this down. Tithing is an act of faith. It is an act of faith. It is a corresponding action. In other words, we tithe because we believe God. We tithe because we love God. We tithe because we honor God. So tithing is an act of our faith. Listen, you need to be believing God. And when we talk about these benefits in just a couple of minutes, I want you to begin to believe God and receive the benefits of being a tither. If you're a tither, 
then you can claim the benefits that we're getting ready to talk about. But tithing is an act of faith. It, it, it's an outward expression of my placing God as a priority in my life. Now, I want to say this. God is not in the mafia. What do I mean by that? God is, doesn't need you to give him money so that he, he'll protect you. <laughs> you remember that? Remember that from, anybody seen the Godfather movies and those, those old mafia movies where they, you know, you had to pay for protection in the neighborhood and all that type of thing? Well, God is not, God doesn't operate like that. When you tithe, you're not buying his protection. You're not buying his love. You're simply honoring him and, and tithing is an outward act of you saying, I trust you, God. I trust you to provide uh, what I need when I honor you, okay? So I want, want us to get that and, and, you know, renew your mind to the fact that Jesus has already purchased everything for us. You're, you are not buying something from God when you tithe, Okay, so we tithe because we love God. We're thankful for what Jesus has done for us. We trust him. We do not tithe out of a fear of punishment. We do not tithe because we're afraid of the curse. Now, I'm going to talk about the curse in just a second, but I want you to understand you do not give and you do not tithe. The Bible says we don't do this under compulsion. In other words, what that means is because I'm scared or I'm afraid, all right? Because when you, when you operate that way, when you do something out of a motivation of fear, God cannot bless that. He can only bless what we do out of our faith, okay? So our faith is what uh, God is looking towards and our faith is what activates the blessing that he promises us in our lives. So James chapter two, verse 17 says this, so also faith, if it does not have works, deeds and actions of obedience to back it up, then by itself it's destitute of power or it's inoperative or it's dead. So our faith needs to have corresponding actions. Now let's talk about this thing. Maybe you have been around church long enough where you have heard people talking about uh, being under a curse if you don't tithe and so forth. So I want to address that. By the way, let me say this, okay? Um, whether you tithe or not is between you and God. Okay, now it will show up in your life eventually. But, uh, but here, my point is this. Um, no, <laughs> and I should have put the picture um, on the screen for you, and I think I have in the past, you will never at this church find a place, and I've got a picture of it saved on my phone that somebody took at another church where they had a bulletin board in the lobby where they posted everybody's names who weren't tithing. Somebody said, really? Yes, really, okay? So listen, we don't operate that way. I'm not gonna have you tithing because you're afraid that your name's gonna show up on a list. I'm not gonna call you uh, you know, and say, hey, I've noticed you haven't been tithing. Uh, what's the deal? Okay, because I'm, I'm not running a collections agency. I'm not, we're not, uh, you know, a, a debt collector, um, nor are we out to embarrass and humiliate people because, again, that's, that is the wrong motivation to try and get people to give. So I just wanted to say that. 
So you know, as a church body, we do not operate that way. All right? So let's go on. Everybody good with that? Okay. So you don't have to worry about your name showing up on the screen, you know, before service and an announcement slide, you know, that says, hey, y'all, look, 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 look here. All right. Let's go to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. <clears throat> Let's talk about this thing, blessing and curse, cursing for just a moment. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, the Lord said, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Now, let me, let me read this verse again. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Uh, therefore, choose life that both you and your seed, your descendants may live. Now, here's what I want you to see. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a choice as to whether you operate in life or death Blessing or cursing. I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about the curse. Okay? All right? So you have a choice. Say this. I have a choice on whether I live in life or death, blessing or cursing. I choose life. I choose blessing. All right? So what I want you to see is the choice is yours. Now, both are available to you. Both are available. I, I don't know if you know this or, or not, have been able to pick up on this, but there are two distinct flows going on in the earth right now. There is a flow of death and the curse and, and, and everything that goes with that, a curse of poverty, a curse of sickness, all of that, that came about as a result of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, he released, uh, or actually Satan through what Adam did, released into the earth a curse. And there is a flow that goes along with that curse that, that the world is under. So that's why it is, you know, it seems like sometimes that we as believers are going upstream and opposite of the way everybody else is doing because we're endeavoring to pursue after life and blessing and peace and everything that God has for us through Jesus, and the world is going in a completely different direction. Now, here's what I want you to see. You can, if you want to, as a believer, you can be born again and on your way to heaven and still live under that flow of the curse. But here's the good news. You don't have to. All right? Do you understand that? So, but the choice is yours. Whether you do or not is up to you. All right, so it's very important that we understand that. Okay, so obedience is what opens the door to the blessing and positions us for the blessing of God to be working in our lives. Disobedience is what positions us for Death and the curse. Now, I don't mean death as in casket dead. I mean death as in, uh, you know, death of a marriage, death of a relationship. You know, death has a lot of different forms to it. But what I want you to see is, is that obedience is the door that brings us into the blessing of God. Disobedience is what 
brings us into a position where we're experiencing the curse. Okay, now, let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Understanding what I just told you, let's look at Malachi 3, 8, and 9. So the Lord asked a question. He says, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what have we robbed you? And the Lord answers, in tithes and offerings. And he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, let me dive into this for just a moment. Remember, being under the curse is a choice. Now, I want you to think this through with me. Use your noggin for just a moment. God doesn't need your money. You remember I told you at the beginning, it's not about your money, it's about your heart. So if God doesn't need your money, then when he says you have robbed me, it's not that you have robbed and withheld money from him. You have withheld your heart from him. You have robbed him of full and complete access to your heart. And when you do that, you're in disobedience. When you're in disobedience, remember, that's what positions you to be under the curse. Now, what does this, this mean, this curse that he's talking about here? What this means is the curse that he's referring to, one scripture says, it's like you put money in a bag with holes in it. You know, how, how would you like to, you know, have uh, your purse or your wallet or, or whatever the case might be, and you put money in there. Let's say you go to the ATM, you withdraw $100 you put that money in your purse or you put that money in your billfold, you go about your business that day and you get home, you open up your purse, you open up your billfold and all that money's gone. And you say, where has it gone? It's because you put it in something that has holes in it. And it, and it leaked out, if you will. All right? So what does that mean? That what the Lord is telling us is this curse that comes upon you because of disobedience and robbing him of your heart it's like just throwing your money away, all right? It's like living a life where you are constantly struggling financially. Now, if you are in that position right now, the first step, as we told you last week, to get out of that flow of poverty is to begin to tithe, to begin to honor and obey God in this area. Because why? When you obey God, you shut the door on that curse. Are, are you tracking with me? Okay, now, I'm going to give you a couple of statistics here. I didn't put them on the screen, but just listen to me. Now, these numbers that I'm getting ready to give you are over 20 years old. So it's only increased over time. Listen to this. As of around 1998, Christians in the United States, I'm talking about people that call themselves Christians, earned an estimated $5.2 trillion combined. Every person in America that claims to be a Christian, that works a job, all of us combined earned $5.2 trillion. That is a lot of money. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. Now, the total amount given to all ministry-related causes, including churches, missions, any religious organization, was $92 billion. 
dollars. Still a lot of money, but let me put it in perspective for you. 92 billion is 1.7% of 5 trillion. So what that means is Christians in the United States only gave 1.7% of their income to the church, to ministry-related organizations. That doesn't count the United Way, you know, other secular organizations and things like that. Worldwide, across the whole globe, that number only goes up to 1.8%. Now, what that means is the rest of the world is giving more than we are in the United States. So what does that mean? That means that of all the nations in the earth, we are the most blessed, but we give less than the rest of the world. Now that's hard to believe because when you see, you know, everything going on in the world and you see people raising money for all kinds of different causes and things like that, you know, you see things like right now where there's a whole lot of money being raised for uh, the Ukrainian people, millions of dollars. And I, and I applaud that, and I think it's great, okay? But in the United States, where we are the most prosperous and blessed nation in the world, we are giving less to ministry-related organizations than, than the entire world population. Now, could you imagine, now keep in mind, think that 5.2 trillion, to put that in perspective, they just passed in Congress a budget for the next year of 1.5 trillion. So almost five times that is the income of Christians in the United States. That's, that's a mind-boggling amount of money, all right? Could you imagine what would happen and what ministries could do if that number went from 1.7 to 10%, which it should be at least 10%. I mean, could you imagine what Samaritan's Purse would be able to do around the world? Could you imagine what the Charlotte Rescue Mission could do? Could you imagine what Spring Hill Church could do if that money increased? So why, you know, it stands to reason then why the church, and I'm just going to address in the United States, struggles financially is because the people in the church are laboring under a curse. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now, I want you to get this. We're not teaching these things because God needs your money. We're teaching these things because you need to be increased. All right, here's something I want you to see. God doesn't need you to give, you need to be blessed. <laughs> God doesn't need you to give, you need to be blessed. Remember, God wants your heart. If you're not tithing, plain and simple, you're robbing God of your full heart. All right, just I, all I'm doing is I'm wanting to put that out there for you to process that and you to think. Now, somebody might say, and this just came up in my spirit. Well, pastor, what do I do if I haven't been tithing? Does God want me to go back and catch that up? No. Here's, here's how I know that. If you get saved, or you get born again, does God want you to go back and make up for all the wrong that you did before Christ? 
No, he doesn't. So what you do is when you get revelation of this, and by the way, that's why it's dangerous to come to a church that teaches the word because now you're held accountable. You cannot stand before God and say, I didn't know about tithing. <laughs> sorry, all right? Sorry, but not sorry, all right? But here's what I want you to see is that do you have to go back and make that up? Absolutely not. All you do is repent and you say, Lord, forgive me for disobeying you and give me a brand new start. And what happens is God says, great, let's go to work on this, okay? So I, there's no condemnation. And uh, what I want you to see is, is you know, if this, if this describes you, then just change your heart, repent, and ask God to forgive you, and he surely will. All right, so now let's begin to talk about what are the benefits of tithing. Now, we're going to cover a lot of material in the next few moments, so I want you to track closely with me. So let's go over to Malachi 3, 10 through 12. So we read 8 and 9 just a moment ago, but he gives us some instructions, and then he tells us the blessings of tithing. Malachi 3, 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, I'm going to read all of this, and then we'll break it down. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And now try me now in this. By the way, this is the only thing in the entire word of God where God said, test me on this. Test me. All right. Then he says, says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. All right, so let's begin to break this down. Here's number one. If you're writing notes, take this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. All right, so let's, let's break this first down again. Let's look at this. So, and I apologize, that's in microscopic print. Uh, something happened to my slide there, but you can see it. So he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What the storehouse is, the, another word for this in the Hebrew language is a depository. Uh, it's your treasure house. It would be uh, another reference for it in, in the scriptures is a magazine of weapons in God's armory. So here's what the storehouse is. People ask me sometimes, you know, where do my tithes go? Well, they go wherever your normal place is that you get supplied. And if that is your local church, then your tithes belong to your local church or they should be given to your local church. Okay, now um, let's go on. So he says, so that there may be food in my house. Food, again, I apologize. I don't know why this is smaller, but food is spiritual revelation from the word of God. So God has promised you, if you will bring the tithes to the storehouse. Can I say it to you this way? You, we ought to be able to understand it. The storehouse is like your pantry, and what God has said is, bring the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food in your pantry. So, you know, I have a pantry in my apartment, and when I go to the grocery store, and I come home, and I bring groceries into my apartment, I put them away. What doesn't go in the refrigerator goes in the pantry. 
And so when I need to eat something, I go to one of two or both places, and that is the refrigerator or the pantry. So what God is saying is, spiritually speaking, when you tithe and you bring your tithes to the pantry where you get your food from, then he said, uh, I will make sure that there is food in the pantry for you. And he says, your uh, food is the spiritual revelation of the word. Your tithe goes where the Lord has stored up wisdom and revelation for you. And that is your local church. Now, that doesn't mean you can't receive revelation from places outside of the church. We'll talk about that in your giving later. But Proverbs 2.7 says that he lays up uh, sound wisdom for the righteous. And, and letter C is this. I want you to see. Help me, Mickey, please. There we go. What God does is when you give that 10%, he reinvests it, spiritually speaking, for your spiritual benefit. Okay? So here's my point. Here's what God is saying to us in Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse where you store and where your supply comes from, and I will make sure that there is always wisdom and revelation stored up for you in that place. Here's what I know from experience. When you're a tither, when you come to church, you're more likely to receive from the Lord than when you don't tithe. Okay? All right, so let's go on. So he says, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Now this is where it gets exciting. When God says, if you'll bring the tithe into the storehouse, See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Now, what's interesting is, let's get into this word windows in the Hebrew language. It literally means floodgates. Floodgates. And what are floodgates? Well, I looked it up. A couple of definitions for you. Look, Googling the word floodgate, uh, the definition comes up and it says, listen to this, a last restraint holding back an outpouring of something powerful or substantial. I like that. So what God says is when you tithe, he will open the floodgates. In other words, he will remove the last restraint holding back an outpouring of something powerful or substantial. In, in the Webster's Dictionary, it says something serving to restrain an outburst. If you've ever ridden by or looked at a dam, you know, like for instance, down here at Lake Wiley, there is a dam uh, other lakes, man-made lakes, will have a dam. And as the waters rise and flood becomes a potential, they will open the floodgates. And what the floodgates do is they allow water to flow past the dam and reach uh, a body of water that's below the dam so that to relieve the pressure and to keep the flood from happening. So what God is saying is, is that when we tithe, he will open to you the floodgates of heaven. He will remove the last restraint holding back an outpouring of something substantial. Now, what's interesting about this word is it's used other places in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, anybody ever heard of a story about Noah and the flood? Okay, in the 600th year, Genesis 7, 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, 
on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and look at, and the windows of heaven were opened. What happened to the earth when the quote windows of heaven were opened? There was a flood. Listen, you need the windows of heaven to be opened over your life so that there can be a flood of God's blessing and his provision over your life. Uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, in the contemporary English version, he said this, Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. I like that. All right? I'll flood you with blessing after blessing after blessing. And then in the NIV, it says this, And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, I want to bless you so much, you won't be able to find enough places to put it. All right? I, I could use some of that. How about you? All right? So for the tither, it, this is a great flood of every kind of provision. Every kind of provision. It's not just financial. It's every kind of provision in your life. All right? So here's number three. Seven blessings we're looking at. Here's number three. He says this, and I will pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Receive it. Write that down. All right, so let's dive into this. What does this mean? Well, let's look at a couple of different translations of what this means. I'm going to bless you so much that there will not be room enough to receive it. Malachi 3.10 in the English Standard Version, it says this, And thereby I put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open for you the, the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I like that. Now, somebody says, hey, I just don't know about that, Pastor. Well, you need to read your Bible. Uh, and I'm not trying to be cute when I say that. Listen. There are stories, I know of two stories in the scriptures. Moses and the children of Israel dealt with one situation and there was another situation, uh, I believe when Solomon or one of the other kings was over Israel. But listen, let's talk about Moses and uh, when it came time to build the tabernacle. You remember the children of Israel, by the way, didn't leave, Egypt broke. The Egyptians poured wealth on the children of Israel when they left Egypt, and they left bondage. So they went, <laughs> it's so funny how God would bless them with all this stuff and then lead them into the desert where they can't use it and spend it, okay? Because there weren't any 7-Elevens or, or uh, Walmarts in the wilderness where they were going. So what did God do? So he held that, he had the people hold it for him until it came time to build the tabernacle. So God gives Moses the instructions for the tabernacle and he tells to Moses take up an offering from the people to gather up everything that's needed for the tabernacle. So Moses did, and here's what happened. It says that the people were so inspired and loved God so much that they wanted to build God a place to dwell that they gave, and this is my paraphrasation, but they gave and they gave and they gave so much so that Moses had to give the instructions to tell the people, stop giving. We've got more than enough. I believe one day 
I'm going to stand up in front of this congregation and we're going to be working on a project and I'm going to be able to say, hey, y'all, don't give any more towards that. We, we can't take any more. I believe that's coming. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. So that's what happens. So that's what God is saying he will do for you. He will pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Man, I tell you what, how would you like to live a life where you don't need anything? Okay, I'm telling you how to get over in that. And then in the uh, New American Standard Bible, God says this, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So you need to understand something about the character of God. God doesn't know the words enough. What did David say in the 23rd Psalm? He said, my cup runneth over. He doesn't just fill it up to where there's enough in the cup. No, he keeps filling until it overflows the cup, overflows onto the table, and then spills off of the table onto the ground. God understands overflow. He wants your life to experience overflow. Say that. Say, God wants me to experience overflow. Say this, I'm a candidate for overflow. All right, now here's uh, the international standard version. He said this, I will pour out on you blessing without measure. You have so much blessing on your life from heaven, you can't measure it. You, you, you won't be able to measure it in any way. All right. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay. So Malachi 3 verse 11, the Lord goes on to say, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. This is another promise, another benefit of tithing. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So let's break this down. Again, this is agricultural terms. Most of us aren't farmers. And so let's break it down so we can understand. So he says, I will rebuke the devourer. So number four is God promises you that he will rebuke the devourer. He will rebuke the devourer. So what does the word rebuke mean? It means this in the Hebrew to cripple, paralyze, or stop. It doesn't mean that God looks at the devil and goes nanny, nanny, boo, boo. He stops him. He cripples him. He paralyzes him from being able to devour. So he said, I will rebuke the devourer. So what is a devourer? In the Hebrew again, it, it means someone who eats, who's a seed eater. Now, as we talk about giving later on, you're going to hear the, the phrases seed, time, and harvest quite a bit. So you will be a sower if you're not already. So what, what God will do is he'll cripple, he'll paralyze, he'll stop the enemy from being able to eat your seed that you put in the ground. You know, there's nothing more frustrating for a farmer than to plant acres of corn or some other crop, fruit-bearing crop, and, and then have it the seed to be devoured by birds or whatever before it even has a chance to grow up. And so God says, I will rebuke the seed eater, the crop destroying pest. You need to do a little bit of history 
uh, research and find out even, you know, at the early part of the 20th century, the devastation that the boll weevil had on the cotton crop in the southern United States was devastating to our nation, caused a lot of problems. But there are people, and I've read testimonies where there are people who were tithers and givers and loved God during that time frame whose crops were not harmed by boll weevil. All right, so God will, will stop the crop-destroying pest. It, a devourer is, is consumed of fire, means to be burned up, means to be wasted. So what God is saying is that I will stop, I will rebuke, I will cripple, I will paralyze the one who wants to come and devour your seed, the one who wants to consume what is yours and the blessing that God has put on your life. I'll stop him. That's awesome to me. Now, I read this, uh, Pastor Bill Winston, maybe you've heard of him, uh, in, uh, he's outside of uh, Chicago in his church, Living Word Christian Center, and he, he wrote, he said this, Satan would like to destroy the increase that God brings into your life. Now, look at the things in your life that are growing or increasing, your family, your ministry, your business, and your relationship with God, these are some of the fruits or increase that are in your life. God promised us that Satan will not destroy our fruit and that he would give us divine protection. So, you know, here's, here's another way of saying that. You ever heard the phrase where you take uh, 10 steps forward and five back, okay? Or, or two steps forward and one back. God will stop that. He'll, he'll stop the enemy from being able to come in and hinder your progress. Whether it be in your relationship with God, in your relationships with other people, in your business, your job, whatever the case might be, God has promised that he will stop that. All right? So that is rebuking the devourer. Number five, he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Now, the fruits of your ground is your harvest, is your harvest. So God says, he shall not, he the devourer, shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Malachi 3, verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, the NIV says. In the Message Bible, it says this, for my part, scroll down there and look down into the text a little bit. He says this, for my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunderers. So whatever area of your life is bearing fruit, God will stop the enemy from destroying the fruits of your ground. Now, when we talk about giving over and above your tithes and, we're, and God calls that seed, then when your seed begins to produce and causes increase financially into your life, then what God has said is I will protect those harvests and keep the enemy from being able to destroy. You know how God, or excuse me, you know how the enemy would like to destroy your harvest? You begin to start to see some increase and then your car breaks down and it's going to cost $5,000 to get your car fixed, okay? That's what I'm talking about, the two steps forward, one step back thing. All right, now here's number six. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. 
So what does that mean? Look at the new living of Malachi 3.11. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Okay, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What, What does that mean? That means that things that begin to produce fruit in your life they're not going to just fall off the vine. Anybody ever grown some tomatoes and you had your tomatoes just, you know, rotted on the vine before you had a chance to harvest them? Okay, God says, I'll stop that from happening. I will stop that from happening. I like this, this translation in the Living Bible. Your crops will be large, for I will guard them from insects and plagues. Your grapes won't shrivel away before they ripen, says the Lord Almighty. All right, now... Those are, the, those are six of the seven blessings that God has promised the tither. Now, what I want you to do in the next few days is I want you to go and, and you can download these notes from the website. I want you to begin to claim these things over your life. If you're a tither, begin to receive and claim these things over your life. Can I say this to you? They're not automatic. You have to... Bring it through your obedience and then through your faith and through the words of your mouth, you need to enact and enable and release this blessing into your life. All right, now let's look at number seven, and that is this. The Lord says, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land. So number seven is, all the nations shall call you blessed. Now what does that mean? Uh, Because you might not deal on a national level. What does that mean? People outside of the kingdom of God will recognize the blessing of God upon your life. You know, we have a, we speak Christianese. Anybody know what Christianese is? It's that language, that code talk that we have in church. Okay, and I'm not knocking this. There's nothing wrong with saying this. Although sometimes we say it and people think we're weird, all right? You're in public, you meet somebody who doesn't know the Lord and doesn't go to church, doesn't hear these phrases a lot, and they ask you, how are you doing today? And you tell them, I'm blessed. Okay, that's like talking Chinese to them. They don't know what that means, okay? So I'm not, again, I'm not knocking that. And here's what we say, I'm blessed and highly favored. They don't know what that means. That's Christianese, that's church talk. Okay, now that's okay in the church. But what I'm saying to you is God will do something in your life that people won't have to ask you. They will see it on you. You won't have to say I'm blessed and highly favored. They'll say there's something about you that's different. It's good. What is it? Then you can say it's the blessing of God on my life. Well, how do I get some of that? Well, that's a good question. First thing you need to do is you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Then once you do that, you can enter into the blessing of God and you can lead them to Christ. Okay, so that's what he means when he says all the nations shall call you blessed. Now, look at uh, Genesis 12, 3. God gave Moses, I mean, excuse me, Abraham a promise. And he said this, I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse those who curse you. And through you, I will bless all the nations. Now, we're going to talk later on about the blessing of Abraham. You are entitled 
to the blessing of Abraham. Why? Because Jesus paid the price to redeem you from the curse of the law. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Okay? Now, let me tell you what this means. You know, and I know there's a, a, a you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A perception in the world about Jewish people. Okay? You know, where uh, a lot of successful business people are Jewish, a lot of successful attorneys are Jewish, a lot of successful people in the entertainment industry are Jewish, and so forth. All right? Now, in part, largely, now not all of them, there are, there are people who are Jewish who do not practice their worship of God. You do understand that. There are secular Jews and then there are Orthodox Jews. Now, the nation of Israel, I want to give you some statistics about the nation of Israel. Now, you do understand the nation of Israel are the direct descendants of Abraham. And so when God made this promise to Abraham, he said, through you, I will bless all nations of the earth. I want to read this to you. Let me give you some statistics. One-fifth of 1% 1 of the world's population is Jewish. What that means is if you have a nation that's the size of New Jersey that is, makes up one-fifth of 1% 1 of the population of the entire planet. All right? Yet the Jews have been at the center of most of the world's creative, scientific, innovative, and cultural achievements. I, I dare you sometime, next time you have to take some medicine, particularly prescription medicine, do a little research on it. A large portion of them are developed in Israel. Medicines that we take every day. Okay? Now, again, they make up one-fifth of one percent of the world's population. But 23% of the Nobel Prizes have been won by Jews. A quarter of all the Nobel Prizes given to everybody in the world, 23% of them are, are usually won and obtained by Jewish people. Israel has the third highest entrepreneurship rate in the world, meaning uh, they have the third largest. I would say the United States is probably first or second, and then somebody else is in that group, but they are third in successful business startups in the world. The Jews, Israelis, they are the highest rated entrepreneur, entrepreneurship among women in the world. In other words, there are more successful Jewish business owners, women Jewish business owners than any other race or ethnicity in the world. They have the highest entrepreneurship among those 55 and older in the world. You need to understand something. A lot of the modern day weaponry that is used in the world by armies, including the United States, was developed in Israel. What am I trying to get you to see? Because God's blessing is on those people because they are God's people that they are having an impact on the world that's second to none. What would happen if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ could ascend to that level because of the blessing of God that's operative through us? What, what could happen? You know, I, I, I shudder to think what would happen to the world and the impact that we could have in the world 
if we would start doing everything God tells us to do, that we would simply obey and then begin to experience his blessing on our lives. Now, God still loves the, the children of Israel. They're still his chosen people, but the Bible says we've been engrafted in, that we're part of that family now through the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? So what does that mean? The same potential for success is available to you as is to them. Do you see that? So what's holding us back? A couple of things. Number one, either we don't know about it. Number two, we don't believe it. Or number three, we're just disobedient. So I don't know about you. I'm going to get rid of all three of those, and I'm going to posture myself so I'm in that group. How about you? Y'all still here? You gone to sleep? All right. I want you to be able to walk in and live in the blessing that God has for you. The first step to doing that is choosing to obey God where the tithe is concerned. Because again, it's not about your money. You're giving God your full heart. You're enabling him to be able to move in your life and to pour into your life all the things that we've talked about, blessing and favor that you can't hardly contain or make room for. And I don't know about you, I'm ready for some of that. Are you ready for that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the promises, Lord, that you have made to us as tithers. And Lord, I thank you and praise you that, Father, we have the, the privilege to be able to step into those things just simply because we trust you, we obey you, and we believe your word. And so, Father, I thank you today that these, your precious people, Father, they're entering into the fullness of that. But Lord, they're stepping into the highest and best that you have for us. And Lord, we make the decision today to give you our full heart. All of us, Lord, not just our minds, not just our bodies, but Father, every part of us, every part of who we are in our lives, we commit, we dedicate to you today. And Father, I thank you for it. Lord, I ask you, because you gave us the invitation, prove yourself to your people. Demonstrate to them that if they will step out in faith and trust you, that you will fulfill your word and your promise to them. And it will boggle their imagination, Father. They won't be able to comprehend what you are able to do. And Father, I thank you that as we as a church and as the church universal step into these things, the limits are gonna be taken off as far as the impact for the gospel that we're able to have in this planet. That Father, we're gonna be able to minister to people. We're gonna see people's lives impacted, not just spiritually, but naturally as well. And that Lord, as you said in your word, it will bring glory and honor to you. And Father, I thank you for that. Now, Lord, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you for every need of their households to be fully and abundantly supplied. Father, I thank you for physical strength. I thank you for healing right now from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. Lord, I believe you for it. I thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for just the privilege that we have to walk with you every single day. And Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts and we give you all the praise 
In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.